Welcome to episode number three. Thanks for joining. Today we sit down with Derek Cobbs, one of today's top pop arrangers and musicians. Derek has played for Charlie Puth, Megan Trainer, Miguel, Camila Cabello, Neil, BB Rexa, just to name a few. We get to sit down and talk a little bit about value, what it means to be a musician in today's world, what advice he has for those musicians that are trying to do the same and work at a professional level. We talk about his most embarrassing moments in his career, his highlights as well, and pretty much anything and everything that has to do with music. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. If you're listening via Spotify, I invite you to follow Sir Kevin Says. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can show your support by subscribing and rating the show five stars. Alternatively, you can watch the video version of this and every other episode on my YouTube channel, Kevin Michael Chong, or visit my website, www.sirkevinchong.com and view or listen to them that way. Episode three, here you go. What's up, guys? Welcome to Sir Kevin Says. This is episode three. I have today with me Derek Cobbs, music director, arranger, producer. Derek, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. How about yourself? Doing well, man. Thank you for being here. I know, busy day for you. You just got done doing the American Music Awards, right? Yeah, yeah. How was that? It was incredible, man. We had uh, Adam Blackstone with me, and we used a 30-piece orchestra. Oh, my gosh. For, uh, her new single. Wow, incredible, so, incredible. Yeah. Thank you for, for being here, man. I really appreciate oh, it, and, and, you know, just... Uh, separating some time to do this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, so, Derek, tell us a little bit about your story. Like, how did you get started with music? You know, like, where you were born? How, how'd you get to L.A.? <laughs> uh, we started from the top. Okay. <laughs> Basically, um, from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, 90s kid. Grew up in church. Um, both of my parents sang. And my dad is a choir director. And... Um, just music all in my blood, man. My uncles and my cousins, everybody plays or sings. And I just, I didn't really have a choice, man. I just loved it. And they saw that I had a passion for it and just helped me cultivate it just growing up. And um, I've always wanted to be in LA and I always wanted to tour and just do it at the highest level. And um, just kept practicing and went to school and then, you know, just made connections. And I, I saved up some money and came out here and just doing it, made a niche for myself. Nice. And this so. was just, because uh, um, I, I know you played drums, right? You, uh, I forget, was that your first instrument or was was Drums was first. First, and yeah, then you moved on to keys? And I moved on to keys. And then basically throughout like grade school and college, I kind of yeah. balanced both. But everything kind of gravitated towards keys because I had so many friends that were good drummers as well. And yeah. it's like... We all want to play on the same gig. So it's like somebody has to play something else. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's the key spot has always been open for me and it opened a lot of doors. Nice. And what year did you move to, to LA? 2012? Yeah, that sounds about right. Two, either 2011, 2012. I remember, I'll never forget it. I just packed up my stuff. Um, I had some family friends in Anaheim. Shout out to the Brown family, Dylan, Tonya, Tony. Love y'all for life. Um, they were gracious enough to let me stay in their home for a couple months. And um, uh, the NAM show was coming up. So 
one of my friends hooked me up with a pass, a rolling pass. And I went to them for the first time. I had a bunch of CDs burned with all the live arrangements me and my friends had done. We're just <laughs> handing them out. Like, I felt like oh, a, like an underground rapper yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, yo, check out my mixtape. But it's just arrangements of songs you hear on the radio. Like, I hope you like it. Yeah. And um, I came out here, just, I packed two bags and I never looked back. I was just like, I'm not going back home until I make it. And it's it's been a blessing ever since. Man, so that's incredible. 2012. I, that was my my. That was your first Nam show then. Yeah, first Nam show here. First and Nam had show. you heard about it when you were back home? Oh yeah, just on YouTube and stuff, and seeing different, like, cause I mean, even though I play keys, I love drums so yeah. much, and just seeing different drummers shedding mm -hmm. and then different booths and stuff. And I know it's a little bit different now because they have like noise ordinances and stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sound, little, the sound police. Yeah, sound police, sound police. Like you can really get kicked out. Yeah. Now. It's hilarious to me, but yeah, I would just watch all those videos and just different people and like some of my favorite bassists and stuff, and everybody would just jam out. And it's like, wow, like you see all these new products. Yeah. It's like I have to go. This is the place to be. Yeah, and it it was cool to. It's actually pretty overwhelming because like you see your heroes there, yep. and they're just walking around, and mm -hmm. all the companies of stuff you have or you wish you could have. And it's like, man, it's it's an incredible experience. <laughs> uh. For those that don't know, we were talking a little bit about it right now, but the sound police are these, I, what would you call them, like uniform? rent cops <laughs> That's what they are. rent cops with a little yeah. decibel meter walking around. If you're jamming too loud, yep. you get a warning. If they come back around, they can literally shut down yep. your booth yeah. and kick you out. So it's, I never knew it would get to this point, but it's like, I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's... That's funny, man. No, yeah. well, there you go. I mean, sound police—they exist. People, shout so out to the sound police. <laughs> so, so getting to LA, okay. What, what was your first big gig, and how was that experience like for you? Um, first big gig was uh, Miguel. Um, my friend John Witt hit me one day. I was actually I had just dropped out of school, uh, moved back home, um, stayed with some friends. Just to see, just to plan everything out, yeah. you know. I was kind of running low on money. And um, I knew that the arrangements had already come out and we were gaining notoriety um, just from college. And I was just like, you know, we really need to capitalize on this. And I'm like, I'm talking to my friends. Like, I think I'm about to move to L.A. And the original plan was myself and the guys that were in the videos to come with me. <laughs> And then somehow I was the only one here. Uh, <laughs> DJ, he made it out here now. But like before that, I, I really stepped out on faith. But John hit me and um, there was a spot open on the Miguel gig and it was in Chicago. And I was just like, you know, like I'll drive down. It's two hours from my hometown. He sent me the show that night. I had seen him before and um, I just learned it playing synth bass and I did the show and we we had a good time and he's like Miguel just let me keep running and keep rolling with wow. him. Wow! So he kept you after that first yeah. show. Yeah. Wow, man. Yeah. That's so incredible. Was, we went up, man. We played bars, we played clubs, we played arenas, we played colleges. Like every, it was like every weekend there was somewhere to go. And this yeah. was he was already blowing up and had big songs, but it was like it was at that time when you really knew I'm like this guy's gonna be around for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Course. And he's he's killing it. 
And was this only in the U.S. mostly, or did you travel outside the U.S. at, at that at that time? At that time, it was only the U.S. U.S. tour, just all the states okay. and stuff. Man. Um, and it wasn't even a bus tour; like we were flying everywhere, like every couple of days, just going somewhere, and then still getting back. And I'm still have to get back from LAX to Anaheim, so oh I'm taking a super shuttle, <laughs> and like it was wild, man. It was wild, but I'm, I'm so grateful and just. To, for that to be my first gig with somebody like that's really known and just the energy, yeah, like he went a hundred and fifty percent every night. So just to see that, and it's like, wow, if he can do that, like I need to do that too. Yeah. So, man, that's incredible. I mean, what about uh, okay? So you saying that you were flying practically every every other day, you know, different dates around the yeah, US. basically like the weekends. Yeah, how yeah. how how is that like a Physically, do you? I mean, do you like enjoy flying? I mean, when I have a window seat, yeah, it's cool. I feel like the newer planes now are getting. It's like they're getting smaller and yeah. smaller every year. Less leg room. Yeah, and it's like, and the prices are going up. Yeah. So it's like something has to give, but it's I enjoy it because it's it's um, I mean, working in this industry has taken me to places I never thought I would go. So it's like it, it is. I feel like the travel is more demanding than the actual show itself. And um, you just have to be prepared for it. You have to make sure you rest and you get your vitamins. Sometimes you need a mask because people are coughing <laughs> and sneezing. Like There's been certain times where somebody's sitting behind me and just sneezed and I felt the germs just get on me. And then oh, the next day I was sick. <laughs> like it's, but Because you're trapped in this plane and they have... Like air circulating, then it's not like it's gonna recycle and clean air come back. It's yeah. like them germs go straight on you. Oh. So you have to really take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, and just making sure you get up and stretch and yeah. like you don't sit too long, you get clots and all that. It's I've heard so many crazy stories. Mm-hmm. But it's I love it, man. For now. <laughs> what's uh what's uh the longest flight you've been on and, and where where was it to? Uh South Africa, that was about 22 hours. Straight? No. No. Well, there's a few ways you can go. The main way I like is you fly to Atlanta from here. That's, what, five hours. And then from Atlanta to Johannesburg is 17 hours. (laughs) So that's the longest straight flight I've been on. But yeah, that and just anywhere in Asia, like Indonesia took about a day. Um like Dubai took a long time. Anything on the other side of the world, like it's just, just know that your day is gone. The entire day. Is gone. <laughs> Do you take those uh, compression socks, the the ones that they sell? You, nah, nothing? I just Straight? either I take like some really comfortable shoes and some slides and just, I'm just I'm cool. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty basic. As long as I have a bottle of water, I'm cool. That's funny, man. I mean, I think the longest flight I've taken was about 13 hours, but I I I had been warned like there's a possibility that if you you know stay sitting down too long, you know your legs could get blood clots. So yeah. Like, so I bought I bought compression socks and and they did help me a lot because everybody else was complaining about you know a, a pain in the legs, whatever. Yeah. They and like stood up. ankles swollen yeah, and yeah. all that. And I, I know that that really happens, but it was yeah. funny because I, I where do you even get them from? You know what? I bought some at Walmart. They were like they were like five bucks. They were like five, bucks, but they saved my they saved my life and my legs. I need you know? to get some. So uh, my threshold for pain is not not too high. So yeah, no, I I need to get some because <laughs> I'm going to Asia at the end of this month, and it's 
And you went with Charlie, right? Yeah. Charlie? Voice Notes Tour. Wow. Um, it's It's been incredible. We did the States this whole summer and just, yeah. like, I mean, we first of all, we were cramming just to learn a new album because everything was so fresh. But then once we played the whole show down, I'm like, man, if we get away with what we're playing, we're going to go down in history <laughs> as greats in pop music. So... It's it's been a it's been a fun ride. What what uh what parts of Asia are you you visiting on this tour? Everywhere. We start out in Thailand, do China, do Japan, we do South Korea, Malaysia, the Philippines. Oh my goodness. Um yeah, we're we're going everywhere, man. It's like every other day until yeah, we're hitting it. So it's it's gonna be fun. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I love the Asian culture and just just everything about it is so different. Yeah. And so much respect and honor. Right. So, right. yeah, be cool. I I remember uh, it was sometime last year. Um, I was in the car with Edwin Carranza, a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. and uh, I was showing him this live arrangement uh, to um, I forget what song. It was a Stevie Wonder song, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Man, he's like, you want to know who started that?" And I was like, "Oh, my sure." God. I'm like, "Who started?" Because I'm thinking, okay, maybe he's talking about uh. What's that band? Uh, uh, Dirty Loops, right? Yeah. And I'm like, maybe Dirty Loops, you know? He's like, no, before Dirty Loops, before any, you know, any of uh, uh, these you know, uh, uh, new, new drummers and musicians that are putting arrangements together, it's my buddy, uh, Derek. I'm like, Derek? And I'm like, I know Derek, but like, what song? And he showed me, I think it was a Katy Perry yeah. arrangement. What, was it Firework? No. Um, um, we did two of them. First one was California Girls. California Girls. Yeah. There's like this funky interlude section. Yeah, right. How'd you guys that. come up with this? Because this is incredible, man. It's uh, very groovy. Thank you. Um, I mean, for me, I've always been in the funk music and it was just like, it felt like it was already in that vein, even though it's like a super, super pop four on the floor dance record. Like you could hear like the... I don't know. It's probably like a P bass or something in the background. Somebody's just slapping hard. <laughs> so I'm like, man, a P bass. Yeah, <laughs> you just know that dry like '60s and '70s sound where it's like you there was no pedals and no effects. You just plugged in dry, yeah. not even to an amp to like a monitor console. And it's just yeah, like it's just like your neighborhood church bass player that just was slapping away. And I'm like, well, if we're gonna do this, like we got to do something different because. I mean, at that time, well, even now, like Katy Perry is larger than life. Yeah. And it's like her band was already dope. It was like, what are we going to do to make it our own? Wow. And it was like, let's just go hard. So, and I, I was really into like Roger and Zap and just started listening to other stuff. And and um, one of our homies played Talkbox, uh, Rob Bonner. And it's just like, man, let's, let's go for it. So we put it in. And it's funny now just thinking about it. Like, I didn't know how to really like use plugins that could change and chop up uh two tracks yeah. and make them faster or slower like i was using like pitch shift and <laughs> just basically lining up and slicing oh, up beat for gosh. beat so it, it was it was quite the process yeah. back then like seems like it was wild like i was using logic express and like oh <laughs> yeah like it was it was rough back then so it was, it was funny times but yeah we just really got into it and then once it was time to shoot the video that's where it got weird. Is this a Christian podcast? I, I, I mean, you could whatever you want. Bro. All right, I'll keep it simple. <laughs> you, we'll keep it PG. We'll keep it keep. PG. But we recorded the video in the middle of the night. Not even a real camera. I think we used iMovie on somebody's <laughs> laptop, 
And we, DJ and I would make this thing called Midnight Juice. <laughs> and it's literally like Kool-Aid, red Kool-Aid, and any alcohol left from the parties we had. <laughs> oh. Light, dark, it didn't matter. We poured it all in the pitcher and put a bunch of sugar and stirred it up and left it in the freezer for about an hour. And we drank it all and see, press record. So what happened, and that's what happened. I had on. Was that like the stipulation before you you hit record? Like, is that what you had to do? Yeah, because we were all shy and like, man, we're about to look like idiots. <laughs> we had gone to the costume shop uh, right across the street from Berkeley, and like, first of all, we was broke. I don't even know why we had money to spend. I spent like, I think I spent like eighty dollars. I had a fake mustache and this <laughs> random shirt from like a thrift store and a hat. Like it wasn't even like a Kango. Like it was like That's a fake Kango. And he had like a high top fade, uh-huh. but by the time like the third take, it got tired and it started falling down. <laughs> and there's one time on the if you go back and watch the video, like we were talking and I tried to spin around and my mustache was actually falling off. <laughs> so I had to hurry up and fix it. And just it was crazy, man. So that's what we every time we shot a video after Bottoms Up, the first one we did. It was midnight juice was always involved. That's funny, man. It just brought up the energy. That's hilarious. Yeah. And did you guys, when you guys finished recording them, like, did you guys hit up like your homies and tell them, hey man, check out this new Bro, we hit up everybody. <laughs> I hit up Adam Blackstone, Rob Lewis, Nissan Stewart. They, they had no idea who I was, man. It was Man, it was it was probably disrespectful. In the words of Adam Blackstone, because Alex and I went to this uh, this uh, what was it like a, a panel discussion? Yeah, Not, it was it was with like, him and Ricky. With him and Ricky, Martin. yeah, it was about a month ago, right? And uh, Adam said that in his words, he said that Derek would send me these gummy worm arrangements. Yes, and I didn't know. Like we thought it was a bad thing, but he actually made it, it was a good thing. You know, according to him, he's like, and I, it was like, how, how many times did you try reaching out to him? Because he said it was like about, about. It was months. Months, right? And if I had Ricky's email, I probably would have hit him too. Like, it's just, it had to happen. Is that like perseverance on your end? Like, um, like what, what, what was yeah, that drive? Like? It wasn't, it wasn't even that. I think it was just because I had met other people and had relationships with people that he worked with mm-hmm. on the regular. So it was just like, you know, I would see them come to Boston on a gig, go to the show, talk to them. We all go out to eat and be like, yeah. And I didn't really know much about Adam at the time. Right. Because he was, he had been around, but like I had first seen him on the um, Dave Chappelle block party Mm -hmm. with the Roots. And then I started seeing him with Jill Scott and I was like, wow. Next thing you know, he's playing with Jay-Z. I'm like, wow. Next thing you know, he's playing with Janet. I'm like, Okay. I don't know who this guy is, but I have to meet him. Yeah. I want to be that guy. So, like, the the point finally came. Um, uh, Mike Posner came out, and he was working with him. And um, they came to Boston, and I met him. And I was just like, you know, gave him the whole spiel. Like, yo, my name's Derek Cobbs. Like, I'm a ranger. Like, can I send you some stuff? Like, I wasn't trying to come off thirsty. Sure, sure. It was just like, I just had to let him know, like, like, would you check me out? And I'm sure he gets millions of emails from everybody. And he was gracious enough to like, you know, give me a shot. And it was just like, he was just like, yo, is it dope? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like nobody's going to say no, even if it was whack. Right, like, right, right. So gave me his email, and probably a fake phone number. And, you know, I just kept it going from there. And 
I mean, everybody around him, I feel like, kept hitting him like, yo, yeah. have you heard these kids? And it just, he finally hit me. It was just like, man, like, you're doing some really cool stuff. And he's, I mean, it changed my life because I've, I've learned so much since then, just as an arranger and as a leader, yeah. leading a band and interacting with artists and, you know, because everybody gets so caught up in the music, but it's still about relationships and right. it's still about people yeah. and lives. Like, we have to live at the end of the day. You can't get so consumed in a gig. It'll drive you crazy. That's so That's great. Yeah. It, I definitely bugged him, though. <laughs> bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when he was uh, sharing that story. It was it was pretty funny. Alex and I were just sitting there and we're like, man, I can't. And we were surprised. We were like, because we know we thought you had already been in the industry for years. Nah, like, bro. I'm, I'm new. <laughs> I'm so I'm new. I'm still a student to the game. I'm still learning every day. Yeah. Like I'm still correcting different mistakes and seeing what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And everybody's every artist is different. Like. The way I arrange for Charlie isn't the way I have to arrange for Megan because they're not, they're a different brain. Exactly. It's a different gift. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah. What do you, um, in your own words, what would you define uh, as like a successful musician nowadays? And like, what would you define? What, what are the, what's the criteria that you would say like that guy, you know, is it like he works a lot or money? Or um, what would you say? First of all, before we go there, Dirty Loops did start this before us, but it was okay. So you, so you're you're, you're correcting it. You're, no, they. It's weird because I can't necessarily call it a live arrangement. It was a full on remix, like, and they were doing it on MySpace, like a MySpace funny. music page. I heard first heard them. They did um, Britney Spears Circus, right, and. It was completely flipped. They didn't use any stems. They changed everything. And that I I don't know the singer's name, but he he to me he sounds like the white Stevie Wonder. Like, <laughs> His range is crazy. Man. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. The whole band is dope. But they I would say they were the first ones to start to flip it. But my idea was, which is crazy because I didn't I didn't come up with the live arrangements. It wasn't my idea. Like DJ Darren Javon was like, you know, I'm gonna start doing drum covers of different popular songs like once a week, like and maybe add a couple hits at the end and see what happens. That's all it was. It was just gonna be a drum cover. And then him and Rod and Steve like came back with bottoms up. And I like I heard it and it was just like, yo. Yeah, on to something. Yeah. Like I just started seeing things. Yeah, yeah. Like I just closed my eyes. Was like, this is about to go down. Yeah. So I was just like, add this, add this, change this. I took, I took over, which doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> I, I had so many ideas. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, man, this is crazy. And when we first put it up on YouTube, they actually blocked it. They took it down. They took it's it down. Copyright. I'm assuming. Copyright. And it was just like, we're not making any money off of this. We don't want anything. It's purely a cover. It's just, we just want people to hear it and see us. Because we even did an arrangement before that, but it was just a slide. It was like a teaser. And it was, um, it wasn't video. It was just okay. like slideshows of pictures of everybody right. in, the, in the video, in the music. So the next time it was just like, yo, we got to, we, we have to show ourselves performing. 
even if we're faking, like just just the personality, <laughs> yeah. just the presence, it makes a difference. Right. And that's, I think that's the thing that nobody was doing at the time. Got and it. even though we only had a laptop camera and iMovie and even the warning sign at the beginning, like I was just like, you know, when we put this out, people are going to think that we're overplaying, we're busy and that we're extremely unprofessional. <laughs> so like, let's give a disclaimer. Like, you know how on like the show Ridiculousness yep. or something, like yep. don't try this at home. I wrote out something and then uh, DJ, he recorded it with his own voice. And I was just like, why don't you just pitch it down so they don't know who it is? <laughs> and then that's what it came. We just started every show with that, every arrangement with that. But um, back to what you were saying, success is, it depends on the person. Um, some people don't do it for the money. Some people do it for the love of the music. Some people do it because that's all they know and they're not good at anything else. That is their gift. Yeah. Um, some people do it for the money and then once they get the money, then they do it for free. I would love to do that. That's <laughs> that's my goal of yeah. success. But even then, it's, it's some people that's cool with just playing at your local bar or lounge right. and that's that's good enough for them just to make people happy and to leave from their jobs and go relax and eat and celebrate with the fans and dance a little bit. Like sometimes that's enough. Sometimes being successful is playing at the biggest church in town. Like you know, it could be playing the biggest pop gig or country gig or playing with the biggest rapper. Um, I think it's, it depends. I can't put one, I can't pinpoint one thing. It, it depends on the person, man. If it's, for me, it's like if you're doing it because you love it and it doesn't feel like a job, and you're able to provide for yourself or provide for your family, that's enough for me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Cool. When you think about the word value as a musician, how important is that to you? It's everything. It's everything. Value your musicianship. Value having them as in like the artists and the management and yeah. everything. Everybody that makes the show work and happen. Is it goes both ways, but to value your musicianship and to respect yourself as a person is that's everything. Because if you don't have that value and you don't value yourself, you will get ran over. Um, and it's once they got you like that, then you're at the mercy of whatever they want. Because it's just like you. It makes you feel like if I don't stand, if I do stand up for myself, they're just gonna get somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they will, right. but that's the chance you take. Yeah. And if you really have a gift and you are truly a likable person, like you will find something else. Yeah. So you just can't be afraid, but you can't just sit back and take it. Right. So you have to pick and choose your battles. True. True. So value is that's where you start. So in your case, um, being that you know you work for so many artists, you know nowadays. What are the conditions in which you say yes to a gig and sometimes when you have to say no? or you, Not that you, you know, you, you want to say no, but you just have to say no. Um, I try to say yes to everything um, because you just never know what comes from it. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know how it's going to inspire you. For me, I've been blessed that I've been put in situations where all of the artists that I've actually played for are excellent songwriters. Like, wow. 
Miguel is a world-renowned songwriter. Neo's a crazy songwriter. Charlie's a crazy songwriter. Megan, they all have number one hit singles. And it's like, and they're all still young. And just to be around that energy and to be around that, like you first hear a song before it comes out and you're like, wow, what made you think of that? And half of the time they're just writing about their life, man. Like just to be around that and it, it, you just, I think just being in that mix, it, you automatically soak up that genius. Um, like, you know, some of the biggest producers and MDs were backing up somebody else. Some of the biggest stars used to sing backgrounds for another star. So it's just like, it's, it's levels and you see what it takes from that star and you take what helped them and what hurt them and you use it in your own, your own story. So I think that's key. Um, most memorable memorable moment in your career so far, and least memorable. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say most memorable and least memorable. I'll say most memorable and most embarrassing. Okay, let's go with that. Uh, let's go with that. Oh man, this is bad. I hope I don't get in trouble. <laughs> Um, I don't know, man. Like, by working with Adam, I've and the just the BB camp in general, I've been able to do a lot of arrangements and program things um, with them and collaborate with them with artists that people would never, either they would know, but they'll never see me because I wasn't there. Um, and for that, I think the craziest one for me is between like, uh, Justin Timberlake doing the Super Bowl, and, um, even before that, when he got the Vanguard Award for the MTV VMAs, when NSYNC came back, that, I think that was the biggest thing, for, and I wasn't even on the stage, bro, I was... <laughs> I was at home. I was at the house. Playing two K? Yeah. Nah, not even back. I don't even know if I had a. I was probably on an Xbox three sixty back then. So yeah, like two K, two K thirteen. I don't even know who I was using then. Like T Mac or something. But um, yeah, like for me growing up, like I mean, um, moved to like the suburbs in the fourth grade, and um school was predominantly white like wasn't on some racial stuff it was just like that's just who lived around there right, right. i can probably count on one hand how many black people i knew in that school and we were all friends because we just had to be <laughs> but, um everybody listened to pop music like i mean when i was first in like my original school we was listening to back like black street maya and you know, Drew Hill yeah, yeah. and uh, Monica and Brandy. The boy's mind was crazy. Uh, all all the stuff that was just like, it was R&B and hip hop. Like, you know, Juvenile was real big back then. Lil Wayne, Master P, all that mystical. We were listening to that. So when I moved to this school, then I started hearing about it. I was like, yo, who is Britney Spears? Like, who is Christina Aguilera? You see, I wouldn't know kids with like, life-size Britney Spears posters hanging up wow. on them while like, oh my gosh, she's so hot. And I'm like, 
uh, whatever. <laughs> but then it was just like, I started growing up. I'm like, man, she is kind of hot, though. <laughs> like, and this is like 10-year-old, fifth grade Derek talking. It's ridiculous. But then like when I actually saw them perform live on the VMAs and and I don't even know what else was out back then. They had like, um, remember um, MTV Spring Bling? Yeah. All that stuff. They had that and like Leah playing live and wow. they had all these bands playing live and it was just like the tracks were already hits, like undeniable hits. But then you hear a band like throwing extra sauce on it and I'm like, man, this sounds crazy. Like, so then like, you know, boy bands were big and I was just like, that was a dream gig. Britney Spears and like NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, those were dream gigs for me because yeah. they always looked like on stage they were having so much fun. And it was so many people in the crowd just going crazy. Yeah, the energy, right? Yeah. I mean, nothing would beat like Michael Jackson, Dangerous Tour, and people fainting on the first song. If I fainted in the first song <laughs> in a stadium and I got kicked out and took, like, the paramedics <laughs> took me out and I missed the rest of the concert, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> I'd be so mad. But it was just like, it wasn't that same type of energy, but it was close. Yeah. It was like, okay, when I grow up, I want to do that. So when NSYNC came back out and Adam was like, yo, we got to do a medley. Like, I was re- I was so prepared yeah. just watching all the DVD. Well, not even VHS back then. It was just like, man, I'm ready. I'm so ready. I think that was one of the most fun moments. Um, you said least favorite slash most embarrassing. So Most embarrassing. Does this, does it have to be like when I was actually on a gig or like, is this just in life as a Well, let's talk, let's just do both. One, one that you were on a gig, on a tour, wherever you were at, and then one, you know. That's tough, man. I think the worst was one time I was playing at a church and um, keyboard stand collapsed. While you were playing? While I'm playing. Like, it just... <laughs> I think it collapsed twice. Like one time it <laughs> fell in my lap, another time I was standing up and it just hit the ground. Um, Both in the same. Yeah, it was that stand just had to go, and I didn't have time. There was still more worship to do. <laughs> so between that and um, I think one time I was playing like I wasn't even playing drums or keys. I there was another drummer at the church. I was playing percussion or something. Interesting. Okay. And um. You know, that's just what you do. If there's multiple, you got to make yep. do. Like, I'm going to hit something up yeah. here. Um, we had risers at the church. And, like, I was sitting in a chair playing some congas or something. And I didn't see the edge. And then, like, something happened where I scooted back. And I fell off the riser backwards. <laughs> and all you could see was, like, my feet just dangling. <laughs> so embarrassing, man. So embarrassing. Um Alex is over there. Guy, man. I'm sorry, bro. If I had some tissue, I'll give it to you right now. But these are real things that happen in Kalamazoo, Michigan. That's just what happens. You live and you learn. That's why I stand up on every gig now. I'm not going to fall off the rise. Um, what about when it's an acoustic set or something like that? You don't stand still, up, bro. You know Unless you're playing like a grand piano or a Rhodes, yeah, like a yeah. real suitcase Rhodes, mm-hmm. I'm standing up. It's like, what fun is it to sit down? Unless you play an organ. Um, just got to, you got to show energy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's um, good. And it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. <laughs> you can sit down your whole life. Stand up. For, <laughs> stand up for 90 minutes. Um, Even professionally, it's something embarrassing. Yeah, it could be, you know, so, something recent with, with Charlie or, or with Megan. Uh. Oh, yeah. There we go. One time with Charlie, goodness gracious, um, we were doing a show, and um, I do a lot of like patch changes. Okay. And we um, there was a time, uh, in the middle of the verse, I have this sound. It has some hits, and then before the bridge, he does a, a piano solo after the bridge, and I have to switch to Rhodes. Is but, this for for boy? No. No. Uh, okay. Suffer. Okay, okay, okay. And one time, actually, this has happened more than once. Like, I'll forget to switch from the orchestra hits, and I think I'm on roads. <laughs> and and it's just like, it's like a, like a six eight like kind of bluesy ballad yeah, yeah, yeah. at first. And right there, we break it all the way. We get sexy with it, man. <laughs> and it was just like you try to break it down. It's just like, bam! <laughs> it's like, wow. Like, have you ever heard orchestra hits with? With eight fingers oh at the same gosh. time, yeah. So it just smacks, bro, and it it was bad because it's just like you can't even adjust and save it. You just I just hit it and I just put my hands to my side and I just gather my thoughts <laughs> and um I just had to gather. I took a couple bars off, man. Just had to <laughs> get right. So that did was, you have a talkback mic also? Absolutely. It would- <laughs> Ben was cracking up. I was, I couldn't believe it. It's just like, it's like, how could you? You've, worked, you've practiced all of these years just to play orchestra hits and a chord on a ballad. Um, that's great, man. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's probably the most embarrassing thing. Um, I'm sure there's something worse than that. It will come to me. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. Let's, let's switch a little bit. Let's switch a little bit. Yeah. Uh, School system today. Um, you went to school for music, right? Mm-hmm. To, to Berkeley. Yeah. What would you say are some things that are not taught in the, in the music school today that should be taught? Uh, hi, Berkeley. Every, <laughs> everything, honestly. Um, they teach you the fundamentals, um, just of theory and air training. And I mean... How to chart things out and jazz standards and different scales and modes and tensions. And even they'll teach you about synthesis and um, how to sound design and all of that. And you can learn about microphones and different consoles and all that. But as far as being like a touring musician, there is no, I can't say there isn't a curriculum for that, but I haven't seen it. Um, when I got out here, even when I first started working like with BB, I was clueless, man. I didn't know how to reply all on an email. I didn't know how to write an invoice. Wow. I didn't know what respectable touring salary rates were per diem. I barely knew about per diem. I didn't know about like saving money. I didn't know about cancellation fees. I didn't know about um, travel notices with your bank. 
You go overseas, you try to swipe your car, they shut they you cl- down. They decline you. They decline you. Yeah. you. What if you would like a little something? <laughs> you like, yo, let me buy you a drink or get you a meal. And you like decline. You look really bad. Um, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about like international data on a phone. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, just even just proper etiquette and just learning different. I mean, in school, probably the longest we rehearsed is maybe two hours or four hours. We rehearse for artists now. It's an eight-hour day. At least. Um, and it's like you, you got to know different people's learning curves and when to give them breaks. And like if you it's the end of the day and people are burnt out, you can't just keep hashing them. Like everybody go home, clear your minds, get some rest. We'll come back fresh tomorrow and keep working. Um, just stuff like that. Yeah. It's just or just proper backline and how to use certain keyboards, or different equipment and using in-ear monitors or how to set up a playback rig or a session and adding click and adding slates. We didn't learn that in school. Like we just either had to figure it out for ourselves or talk to different like alumni that is working and ask them questions. And I had to learn fast when I got out. So I would say that, and I'm sure it's better now. I haven't been back in a while. But, and I mean, they do that, and MI, I'm sure, has better programs with that as well because they're in the mix. But it was, I had no idea, man. It was like we was going to school and, here, get this lead sheet. Let's play some standards. It's like, all right, cool. Like, but I want to play, I want to play for Lady Gaga. Something like that. So it's. I don't know, man. It was it was crazy. It was crazy. What about reading music for what we for what you do um, doing pop and how important is reading music nowadays? That you you still think it's as as important as it once was? Because you know when you're doing these eight hour rehearsals, do you send your musicians a chart or you send here's the MP3, have it down by tomorrow? It depends on what we're doing. If it's just like a mainstream artist, like you probably don't need it. Or if if you have to uh, memorize a lot of things in a short amount of time, you could try it out yourself. Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm using an iPad now. Yeah. So I just put if I need to, I put the set list in there, or if I I can make a little quick chart. Right. If I just need it, but if you running it over and over, it's gonna it's gonna be in your hands. Yeah, but it it is very important still just to know the theory of just how to break down things and explain it and talk it to other things. And I mean, you'd be surprised. Some of these artists do know the theory and or something about it. So you just at at least need to be knowledgeable of it because it is a language. And even in the certain like gigs and opportunities that you can miss out on, like the certain recording sessions, there's award shows, whereas you reading... 40 to 60 charts with no rehearsal. So it's like they may send you, they might send you all the MP3s the night before, but how are you going to remember 60 songs? Like you just can't. So if the people that can just open the page up and just play it perfectly, they're making money and they will always be called. So it's good to know you're not going to always use it, but like 
Like, and I can read, but I'm not the greatest reader. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, we get, we get it done, yeah. and it's you just never know. There is, you can never have enough of it. So, going back to to curriculum, if you could, you would implement in Berkeley or you know, depending what school uh, music schools are out there, you would implement a life class for musicians. Yes. Generally, and talk about all these things. Yes, you have to, because it's just, I think when I first moved to LA, there were so many people here that went to Berkeley, and I didn't even know they went because they just kept it on the hush because it was almost like they were like afraid and ashamed. Like, I'm proud I went there. Like, yeah. I worked hard to get there, and I met some of the most incredible minds ever going to that school. But it's like, they were known here as know-it-alls. Like they thought they knew everything because they went to this school and the school was made to be the most prestigious contemporary college in the world. It's like, it might be, but can you play the same groove for five minutes? Like, can you, can you switch from a super verbian delay on a guitar and then go straight into a lead line, the next measure, and then go back to your pocket. Yeah. Like, they don't teach you that. Yeah. Like, we too busy trying to play giant steps. So it was, it was things like that. I would definitely include that. But even then, I would just lower the tuition. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy, man, because nothing in this industry is promised. You could be hot one day and be the next day it only takes one situation yeah. and you just yeah. hitting people up like, man, like if you hear of anything, let me know. Like every gig you get is a blessing because somebody else can have it and somebody else does want it. So it's like you can't take it for granted. Like you have to give it your all every time and just be a good person. And it's like if you, I mean, I think all college, it just the education, higher education outside of high school is is in a ridiculous place right now because it's like we spend all this money on tuition just trying to be qualified. And then once you get qualified, you think you're qualified, then they ask you for this job requires five to 10 years job experience. It's like, I just got out of college. What do you want me to do? I know I can do the job, but like, give me a shot. And it's like, then you end up 200 grand in debt. Four years, you paying that off, you can't buy a house, you can barely buy a car, your credit is crazy. Like it's it's like we're all, everybody in our age gap and even younger are just at a crazy disadvantage right now where our parents didn't have to go through that. So it's like, and the cost of living and the housing market is so much higher now. Like we're already behind. So that's why people are getting into startups and investing and, I don't know, cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrency, everything, yeah. man. Is yeah. You have to find that side hustle because that's the only way to get up. Like, you just can't depend on this. It's, music industry is, is forever changing every day. Yeah. Every day. How about uh, keeping yourself from getting burnt out? You know, I hear that a lot, mostly amongst uh, musicians in church, you know, that play at churches, you know, uh, on a weekly basis. And I, and I, friends of mine that will just kind of hit me up and tell me, hey, man, like, 
kind of done with church right now. For you know, on your end, how do you keep from from getting to that point, doing music and and working? Because this, I'm I'm assuming that you know when you work with these artists, it's, it's still stressful. You know, I mean, having all this music to remember. You know, you're in this venue here. Like, how do you keep Man, yourself from? We play music. There's people working at McDonald's. There's people working at Target, Home Depot, Office yeah. Depot. There's people mowing lawns. And like, you get to play at church. You make hundreds of dollars. Sometimes you make thousands of dollars, depending yeah. on the church. Like, you just, I think sometimes you have to take a step back and just, just thank God for what you have yeah. because you get to do something that you love. And I mean, yeah, we all get burnt out. The travel is hard. Church is hard dealing with pastors or the deacon board or just people. <laughs> church church can make you tired, even yeah. without playing at church, just being a member. Like it's just <laughs> just it's, sitting in the man. <laughs> just the whole aspect of church can really wear you out. Yeah. Um and it's like you gotta you gotta take it for what it is and take it with a grain of salt and still know God for yourself and know. I mean, I know some people that didn't grow up in church and then they play in church now. So they have a different appreciation for it. But for me, church has been, that was my life. Yeah. Like growing up, we went to church three times a week. And I was playing. I mean, I was getting paid, but it was like, I love to be there. Yeah. I love to minister. I love to make people, I love to save souls through my music. And That's even cool. now that- That's good. I haven't really been in gospel or in church as a musician. Like I still carry that same mindset. Like every night, let's let's inspire somebody. Let's change somebody's life. Let's make somebody want to play or want to sing. Let's inspire somebody to keep them from committing suicide. Like it's it's a whole different meaning. Like I've heard of people I've looked up to, like just them responding to some of their fans. They save somebody like. I, they thought they were going to kill themselves. Like, he was getting ready to kill himself, but you responded to me. Like, you just saved a life. You just saved a soul. So it's like, no matter what you're going through, like, somebody's having it way worse. And I I completely understand, man. It's the church musician, the church singer, the praise leader, the choir member, the minister of music, like, whoever, they're all usually really severely underappreciated. And they just, people count on them being there every week, whether you feel great or whether you feel horrible. You, they still count on you to lead worship and to do your best and kill it. And you just have to take a step back. You have to have friends. You have to hang out, like do some, find a hobby, like sit back. For me, like when I'm at home, I'm at home. I go to the gym. I hang yeah, out with y'all. I was, was going to yeah. ask you, what are you doing your time off? Yeah, I go to the gym. I play 2K. <laughs> I listen to something that I probably can't even play, like just something else and just appreciate music for what it is and just go and listen to the things that I grew up listening to that made me fall in love with music in the first place. That's cool. Because um, you can really get consumed in it and um, just living a normal life, being a just a regular person, going bowling, watching basketball, football, you know, just... Going to see, I mean, I haven't had a vacation in a while, but just going to sleep. Yeah. Sleep, having a regular sleeping pattern, like, <laughs> you know, talking to family, like things like that that just keep you grounded and 
just to make it, I think for me, it's just like my friends that I grew up with and my family, like just hit me up. I'm like, yo, we're so proud of you. Like that goes a really long way. It goes a really long way because people from Kalamazoo don't normally do this. Like it's a, it's a smaller town and you do what you have to do to provide. So every day, it's like I could still be there. And there's, I mean, you could still have a good life there. I wish, I mean, if I had it my way now, I could own a couple houses in Kalamazoo. <laughs> but it's just, it's, you just have to be grateful. Yeah, that's good, man. That's yeah. good. You, uh, would you say that you make yourself available? Like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sure that after a show with Charlie, there are some, maybe some young teenagers that are on the side or whatever that want to meet the musicians. You take the time to talk to them and yeah, share. Take pictures. I'm no, I'm not anybody, man. Like. There's levels like yeah. I'm. I don't have paparazzi following me. Like I'm not getting mobbed by a bunch of teenagers. It's somebody they appreciate what I did on stage because usually they're not paying attention to me anyway. <laughs> so it's like if they appreciate it, cool. Let's take a picture. Like let's talk. I'll follow you on social media. Yeah, like yeah. I'm. I'm not too big for the moment because I want them to realize that this they can do this. Like, yeah. like they can be bigger than me like i can be bigger than me i'm still trying to strive for greatness so it's you just have to be cool because it's just like that's those those teenagers and probably their parents who bought the ticket are the reason we have jobs so it's like you can't you can't just brush them off like you have to get back what do you tell the aspiring musician out there someone trying to get on your level someone trying to work with different artists, uh, you know, music directing. What do you tell them? What should they focus on? Um, be prepared for anything. Um, you can't... You can't expect to get the opportunity of your dreams and you haven't proven yourself. There's so many people calling and there's so many people trying to will and deal to get that same spot and there's probably people that you look up to that want that exact same spot and it could take one phone call and they'll get it because they're known and they're proven like you just like if i'm want a gig on drums and i want to do this gig but it's like oh tony rust is available Aaron Spears is available. Chris Coleman is available. Like, shoot, I'll call Aaron Spears (laughs) just to watch. Yeah, Brian Frazier. Yeah, Brian Frazier, Mike Reed, like all those guys. And it's like, for me, it's even an honor to know them. Not even, and I've been able to work with them. It's just like, man, I watched y'all, Modern Drummer Festival. Like, Tony was, what was he, 10 or 12? He was 12. Craziest drum solo I've ever heard. And it's like, that's my friend. And it's like, that's the thing of being in LA. You never know who you're going to meet. Right. And everybody's so cool. So it's like, why I can't be stuck up? Look at this dude. He's a le- he's a living prodigy. Like, you have to be cool. You have to be ready for the moment. You have to know everything that comes with that spot. Like, if you're a bass player, you know, you have to know how to play bass. You have to, it would be great if you knew how to play upright bass. Yeah. And you need to know how to play synth bass. Yeah. You might need to know how to play a little keys. Yeah. 
Like there's guitar players that need that play keys. You might need to know how to sing. Like you just never know. Or maybe you need to run playback or edit tracks or edit stems. And like you have to make yourself valuable because there's so many people that want your spot and that are as good as you or better. Or they could be worse, but they have the connection. So it's just like that. And I would say the personal aspect, like just being cool and just being kind to everybody. Like you don't have to be in their face. You don't have to be, you're not going to be best friends with everybody you work with, but just treat them with respect. Because, I mean, the longest show that somebody's going to do is two to three hours. That still leaves 21 to 22 other hours in the day. And it's like, you have to live with them. You're on a bus. You're on a plane. Like, you have to see these people every day, and you don't want to be on their bad side because they're just going to call it a homie. So it's like, I feel like that is more important than the playing, almost. Almost. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you still need to be good. You should be good. You should want to be good. And um, just don't be lazy and don't get complacent. Like, still try to come on time. Learn the music before you get there. Um, know the sounds that you need to get. If you're a drummer and there's some electronics or using triggers, like hit up the engineer, hit up the MD, and be like, hey, man, I hear these sounds in the song. Can you send me the sounds so I can put them in my pad? Yeah. Know your equipment. Like, I remember one time we did uh, shoot, season two of Verses and Flow. With Adam, one of my first times playing with him, actually with him on the gig, it's like, all right, I gotta come with it. He hit me like, send me your backline. The uh, the Rolling Jupiter eighty had just come out, and I looked at it like, man, I really want to play that keyboard. I put it on my writer. Didn't know anything about the keyboard. It just has so many lights and buttons. I'm like, the name sounded dope. It, I'm I'm like, I'm gonna look like I'm the man, cause ain't nobody at the crib got this keyboard, and it's like. Come to find out, like, we're doing some specials in the song. He's like, man, can you give me, like, a brass sound or a synth sound? And I'm like, give me a second. And I'm just scrolling <laughs> and touching the screen. So embarrassing, man. It's, and from that day on, like, I own a Jupiter now. And I know every sound in that <laughs> keyboard. But I probably should have just played a motif at the time because that's what I knew. Or ignored. And it was, it was funny because it's just like, I've never done that again. Like, you can't. Every piece of equipment on your rig is important. And is you can't afford to have something up there just to have it up yeah. there, like unless you just have unlimited backline, but these yeah. things cost money. Yeah. So it's like you you need it. You need it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I have four keyboards up there, but it was like I was only using two. So yeah. Did he tell you anything afterward or like it's fun. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Oh, really? I was just like, yo, you remember we did that gig and I had a Jupiter up there and I didn't know what I was, I was clueless. Like, yeah, it was funny. It was like, but I know it now. So every rig I use. So it's, yeah, just, just know your, know your instrument. Like, it's just, you never know what the music director or even the artist is going to call out. Like, sometimes they just might be like, I just need distortion right here. You gotta be ready to click a pedal and go. Like we can't, can't. You never want to be the weak link in the band, cause it's just not a good feeling. I forget who told me this, but someone said, uh, "Never, never let your playing be the problem. 
you know i think that's one word of advice that i i i hold true to heart you know and i i think i apply uh on any gig you know any opportunity i think that's that's hopefully i think all of us you know that trying to do that you know yeah you know, hold, hold that to heart and Cause Not it's like there's there's probably a few people out there with attitude problems, but they're so good on their instrument. It's like I have to call that person. Like you just have to. So I was gonna ask you that. How do you deal with tough personalities like that? What do you do if you're MDing the gig and this guy, you know, he's the one for that gig, but it's your it's your job. You just gotta learn them. You gotta get to know them, and you gotta know which buttons to press. It's like a it's like a basketball coach. And their star player has anger issues. Oh, it's like, okay, yeah. how do you channel this energy into dropping 40 tonight? Like, that's just what it like takes. Like, feel with, with Kobe a little bit. Yeah. Kind of that you got to know what makes them tick. Because obviously, there's a gift inside of them. And maybe even your spirit will get them out of that shell and make them a better person. You never know. But it's just like, you just, everybody's different and everybody's come from different backgrounds. And you never know what they've gone through to make them that way. Like they could, it could be anxiety problems or anger problems or just mental health. And it's like, man, they might need help. You might be that person to help them. But it's like, you can't just throw them away. Like if they get fired by the management or the artist, that's on them. But while they're there as a music director, it's your job to make everything mesh, mesh and be cohesive. So I've I've been very fortunate to not have to deal with that because everybody I play with is, is just great guys. Like it's it's been I've been blessed to not have those problems. You still do you uh, still get any mentorship from any, from anybody nowadays? I mean I know Adam would be one of those people. Yeah, Adam, Omar Edwards, Daniel Jones. Uh, I mean I feel like anybody. I just. You just ask questions, man. You just um, people are open. Like you just, it never hurts to ask. And once they see that you're cool and they know that you really just want to learn, like I mean, even somebody who's never done a gig before, I can learn something from them. And it's, it's there's no hate behind it. I'm not gonna act like I just magically figured out how to do it or I made up something new. It's like no, that one kid playing in guitar center. Playing really loud on a Casio played something dope, and I'm taking it. <laughs> and it's it's you always have to be a student to the game because it's just that's how other people got there. You have to see what works. And um, I've always heard things like um, it's one drummer said like play what your heroes play. Like I played this because so and so played it. Like now I use a uh, Roland SH101 because. Valdez Brantley used one on the Usher Truth Tour. <laughs> I was like, man, whenever I get enough money, I'm buying that thing because <laughs> it just looks so cool and it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. So I just, you just never know, man. Just do what feels right. And if it works with that situation, run with it. Enjoy it. Well, Derek, uh, do you have any last words or any, you know, any, anything else you want to you say concerning what we've talked about tonight? No questions, just whatever you free roam, man. <laughs> We've talked about a lot. Yeah, We've talked about a lot so far. So I would just say, just I mean, to anybody, including myself, who just 
wants to do this and maintain it and do it. And I'm for sure not where I want to be yet. I'm not close. <clears throat> so um, just keep working and and be be a student to the game. Like study. Like it doesn't even have to be a scholastic thing. Like. Study who came before you. Study what's hot right now. Figure out what those sounds are. Figure out what people are doing. And make it your own. Um, Just be different and make yourself valuable. Make your position needed. That you can, I mean, make yourself irreplaceable. Um, that's, That's the real thing. Those are the people who have the true job security. Anybody can play. Everybody got chops. Everybody has crazy chords and lines. And it's like you see a lot of people on IG and they're just ripping for 15 seconds, 30 seconds. And then you play with them on a gig and it's like, what happened to that guy on the ground? (laughs) So it's just like, don't don't fall for the flashiness. Like, be, be ready for the long haul and don't get complacent. Um. You may get one big gig when it's like, save your money. Because it only takes for one person to get sick. Somebody gets pregnant. It's a death in the family. is getting married. Anything. And it's like, the gig is gone. And they're not going to just keep paying you if you're not working. So save save your money for a rainy day. Invest it. Um, when I first got on a gig, uh, first started playing with Pharrell Williams. I think I bought a pair of shoes with every check. A pair of shoes. How much was how much were the shoes? Two hundred and up. I always stayed between like two hundred and three. And you were you were getting paid weekly, right? Yeah, weekly. Okay. Okay. I bought a pair of Jordans or Nikes every week for about a year and a half. Yeah. It's bad. I, I give away shoes. Like I that's like my ministry now. <laughs> I bless people. My friends be like, yo, man, you wear a 10 and a half, 11. Take these shoes, bro. Oh, man. I'm, like, a, I'm a nine and a half, man. Hey, man, I'm sorry, man. Just <laughs> triple up on your socks. <laughs> and I, I have a pair for you. Yeah. So it's just bad. It's funny, man. I, I blame Adam and Omar for that, too. They would come in rehearsal. Craziest retro shoes. And I'm like, man, those is cool. I mean, me growing up, I would... You got a pair for your birthday? No, not even. You got a pair back to school, uh-huh. and you got a pair for Christmas. That's it. And they better be under $100. <laughs> so I'll see all these Jordans and stuff and be like, man, like when I get enough money, I'm going to buy those. And that's what, sure I, that's what I did. And it's like now I look at it, and it's like, man, how much more money could I have? I could have a house right now if I didn't buy all those <laughs> shoes. And like, no, nah, I'm just wearing some regular Adidas. I I'll run in these at 24 hour fitness. And it's just you just never but I was young. Yeah. I was 23. And um it's just now I know. And I mean, thank God I still saved. But it's just like people sometimes you play on this biggest gig, on the biggest gig of your life, and you don't know that that might be as big as it gets. You could still be a successful musician and still be working and still be known and very respected, but you may not make that much again. Yeah. And yeah. you just have to be prepared for that. And life goes on. Like, get a 401k or get retirement a plan. Yeah, retirement yeah. plan. Especially get, for musicians, get man. Health insurance. Yeah. 
vision, dental, um, join a union, um, anything, man, like treasury bonds, like uh, Roth IRA, all that stuff, man, you have to do something because it's just, you never, you, in order for us to make money, we have to be available. Right. You have to right. be, you can't just be playing basketball all the time and getting you, you rupture your Achilles. What are you going to do now? You play drums. <laughs> so it's like you out of the game unless you just finesse it. Yeah. And like, we got to prepare for that stuff. You can, you can buy insurance on your hands, on your feet. Like there's different things that you can do just to keep the ball rolling. And we have to prepare for that. Cause it's like, if you want a family, you want kids, you know, they're going to have to pay for college and it's going to be more than what you pay for college. So we just have to prepare. And I, I think it's just, you can't, you can't settle and just be hyped to be in that moment. You right. have to always plan for the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say that's the most important thing with anything you do. Cause this, these opportunities are a blessing. So cool, man. Yeah. Well, Derek, thanks again, man. I appreciate your time coming out and just uh doing this. You know, uh I'm I'm sure anybody who's gonna listen or watch this is gonna learn a lot today. You know, uh I appreciate your time. Thanks, Alex, and the handling the, the cameras back there. Thank you, man. This is episode three of Sir Kevin Says. Stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for checking out episode three of Sir Kevin Says. Have a great week. <laughs>